HHW presents Who Reads the Watchmen? Issue number 7 by The Legion of Dudes. Put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dude, I serve a society by rocking. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Excuse me. I have to go. Somewhere there is a crime happening. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. It's a half hour wasted presents Who Reads the Watchmen, issue number seven by the Legion of Dudes. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to us on iTunes or at a halfhourwasted.com. This is Adam Umack, your hostess with the mostess, for our 12-issue journey through the epic end of days in Dave Gibbon and Alan Moore's Watchmen. We are joined today, as always, by my fellow conspirators deep in the swamp. It's the Legion of Dudes. Who do we have tonight? Hey guys, this is Ken. This is Russell Latham. Hey, this is Dan Ashland. This is Adam. And as always, you can um, check us out every Thursday on our iTunes feed or from our feed uh, on halfhourwasted.com. Check out Brad and Frank's podcast, A Half Hour Wasted, on Sundays. And um, if you'd like to send any comments to us, give us uh, a line on email at comments at legionofdudes.com or check us out at thecomicforums.com underneath the Half Hour Wasted uh, banner. So um, we're going to be talking about the motion comic that has been released under uh, DC Comics and Warner Brothers uh, animated department. And, uh, Dan, I do believe you're going to start us off with uh, this discussion topic this week. Indeed I am. So, yeah, there's a motion comic out on uh, – you can get it on iTunes. There's four episodes so far. Uh, they're about 30 minutes apiece. I've seen all four. I've got mostly good, some bad things to say about them. But, uh, Adam, what are your opinions? I know you've seen – most of them so far, if not all of them. Well, I uh, bought the season pass um, to get all 12 of the episodes. And I think that um, – and I understand how you know, skeptical uh, uh, about how fans can be as far as you know, a translation from print to you know, new media. And what I would say is if you have any hesitation that this is not a faithful – um, depiction or, or translation of Watchmen, uh, definitely give this a shot because I think that the the way this is just formatted, you know, no real acting aside from what the animators do. I, I think that this really speaks to you know the versatility of what comics can do and can be, not just translating um, action sequences on storyboards. I think this goes really far and beyond that. Now, I'm not you know going to completely gush over this, but I do think that. This is definitely uh, comics forward, and that this is a new way of looking at something that we already have. It's just another way of looking at, um, at information, in this case, Watchmen. And I think that um, in the long run, DC is really going to benefit, and Warner Brothers as well, from releasing Watchmen as their first initial motion comic. I, yeah, I they're, think doing, should... uh, they're doing Batman Black and White next. They've, and I think they're concurrently doing uh, Mad Love as well. And also Superman Red Sun. I, you know, I've always been one that, you know, I, w- I would love to see the long Halloween translated 
um, in a motion comic like this. I think this would be better served um, in a motion comic than in um, like the DC animated series, kind of like Superman, Doomsday, New Frontier. Um, I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, I mean, seriously, if you think about the backlog, there are so many possibilities. I would only think that you'd be limited, actually, by the art, which one would translate well. I don't exactly see Kingdom Come coming to, to motion comics, just because of you know the arrangement and style and, well, overwhelming substance that you know an Alex Ross production would have to go with it. But... Um, what a what a service uh, this has done to Gabe to Dave Gibbons' art. Yeah, well, I think uh, the uh, the coloring in the book and just you know his style of art lends itself to this. Um, just from an animation standpoint, and with my limited knowledge, kind of figuring out what goes into it, these would take a hell of a lot of work. <laughs> I mean. I think, um, from what a little I've been able to find out about it, I know I think Dave Gibbons has helped out by kind of redrawing a lot of the backgrounds, at least expanding on his original art because there's not enough to get it into that widescreen format. But I mean, these would take forever to cut apart and animate each character and get everything the right way. Yeah, he's done um, overlay work for like the Minutemen photos, so that there's an actual complete picture of all of them together and things along those lines. And it seems like they're starting to come out with some regularity now. I know there was a pretty long gap between issue one and issue two, but I think since issue two's come out, it's, it's been, what, every two weeks pretty pretty regular now? Yep. Yeah, I think that initial one, the time gap and the fact that it was free, I think was kind of testing the waters just to see how many downloads they get before they go into, like, full-on production. Because, like I said, this—I mean, this is there's probably a lot of time and energy in these, so I wouldn't want to just start putting them out if they were going to bomb. Now, let me ask you a question: um, If they released, if DC released an original graphic novel that was not in print and it was solely on Motion Comics, would you buy that? If you've never read it before in your life, a few things would have to change. I think they'd have to get more voiceover actors. Not that I mind what they're doing in the Watchmen comic, although the female voice gets a little weird just because, you know, I'm used to animation and all that kind of stuff. But I think if they were going to try and sell me something that was completely new that I'd never read before and that's the only way I could get it, they'd have to bump it up a little bit. Let me ask you something about the the, uh, the voice work. I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, not not a lot of full cast stuff where they have different, different actors, uh, but when there's just one reader reading the book, and a good one will put inflection and put, put style into each character so you can know who's what character just by the way he, he does a character. But the one someone listens to right now, it's, it's a male speaker, but he does the female parts as well. I think someone else commented about you know see, hearing Sally Jupiter with a man's voice. Is it, how is this different, or is it different from an audio book? Is just the fact that you're seeing a, a, an image w- along with it? It doesn't seem like it would be that distracting to me. It is a little bit distracting to me, just because I think with the visual part of it, I, it's a little bit harder to suspend disbelief with it. I mean, I've I've listened to a few audiobooks before, and you know, I I understand that there's one narrator, and that's the way it's done. I really don't have a problem with it, but just because Watchmen has been read by so many people, and it's I've you know I've read it so many times, I kind of have ingrained the voice that I would think like how I think they would sound in my head. So it's a little bit 
wonky for me. And I think also that there are so many characters in Watchmen that really the guy, there's only like so many voices he can do. So a lot of people start to kind of sound the same. <laughs> so like, especially like the, the news, uh, the newsstand guy and Rorschach are pretty much the same guy. <laughs> and here's the thing too. If this book had Wonder Woman in it, you know that they wouldn't let it get away. They 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 wouldn't let um you know the animation department and the voiceover department get away with a guy doing Wonder Woman's voice, or like if it was a let's just say active property, you know. Yeah, I agree. I I think again, I think it's purely you know one of those mental things. I think if if you're in your car listening to this audio book no with no visual representation, I I I believe that it wouldn't bother me as much, but. Because you're seeing it on the screen, you're seeing, you know, the female characters and then a male voice. It it really is um, a little jarring. I, I, I even if they didn't have multiple people, it would have been nice to just have a male for the male voices and a female for the female voices. You know, voices even you know one of each, just to 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 give that representation. Um, I don't you know I I wasn't expecting a full audio drama. Um, but it would have been nice to have, you know, like I said, at least one, you know, one female doing the female voices and the male doing the male voices. But, um, but overall, I mean, the overall quality presentation delivery, I think, has been um, spot on. I haven't seen them all yet, um, but I'm, I, I definitely got the pass, and I plan on on watching them all. So it it hasn't distracted me enough to keep me away. Let's put it that way. And and I do think if if they did another one or something as an original graphic novel, Adam, like you were saying. I think it would depend. I think if they either put out a, um, I think I think they'd have to put out either maybe the first episode for free, like they did for Watchmen, or um, some sort of maybe two minute trailer or three minute trailer or something like that that would give you a pretty good representation of what you'd be buying, especially if it were multiple episodes, depending on the price. Um, you'd have to get something to kind of hook people in, um, especially on an unknown quantity. You know, something like Watchmen's a lot easier. Um, you know, some of the, the other ones we mentioned, Red Sun. Um, some of the Batman stuff will be a little easier because they're known quantities. Um, but but an unknown an unknown story, even with a known quantity character, would still be um, a, you know maybe a little risky. So now let me ask you about the uh, the quality of the storytelling. You, you most of you or all of you have read Watchmen before. You know the story pretty well. Um, are you getting everything out of these issues that you get from just reading the book? Um, are you or are major things missing? Um, or is it a good faithful translation? Um, everything's in there. Everything. I just wish they weren't two weeks behind our schedule, or else I just wouldn't read anymore. And I would just, I would just watch. Watchmen. Well, that was, that was kind of my next question. Could could someone who's never read Watchmen substitute these um, uh, video web comics, if you will, uh, in place of reading the actual book and still get the same experience? Absolutely. Take a listen. The same. One second, New York. The next, wham, California. So long breakfast, poor baby. So this funeral, anyone I know? The funeral? Oh, no, that's just, you know, some little official thing John had to go. Protocol. It's Eddie Blake's funeral, right? Uh, that was the women talking, in case you couldn't tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One woman talking to herself. Uh, yeah, but I haven't I haven't noticed any dialogue missing or any key points. I mean, it's literally panel by panel, you know, as far as what they're what they're showing 
um, it's nice. It's nice too, Russ, because like um, when they take a look at like the, the extreme close-ups, like the camera does move. It's not just a fixed point, like it's in a panel. You know, they can zoom in on like the Gordian Knotlock Company um, when it's on uh, Moloch's or Dan's door, and you, you don't have to like <laughs> put your face closer to the to the book. Like they make sure you see everything you need to see. I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah. I think you do lose a little bit of um, just the like some of the intricacies of the way the book's laid out. You're not going to get, um, especially I can't remember which issue, I think four, where it's um, a mirror image of itself, four or five. Oh, the I was on that five, episode, yeah, the symmetry. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, obviously, but there's no way they can really do that and have it be as obvious. We talked about, I think it was in uh, three. He, uh, we, we talked about the uh, uh, the parallel conversations between the actions of what Dan and Laura were going through compared to what John was going through in the studio, and you clearly saw this back and forth, the way the panel was laid out. Did, did that kind of momentum get translated into it, could you tell? I th- well, wait, which issue was that? Um, <laughs> four, three. Three, okay. Three? All right. Um, where, he leaves, where he leaves Earth? Yeah, like when he was being confronted in the in the TV studio. And, oh yes, I'm sorry. And it goes back and forth between you know John's confrontation with the reporters and Dan Laura's confrontation uh, confrontation with the uh, with the gang, and it just bounces back and forth uh, panel by panel. You know, did they? Yeah, that was a, that was a little bit more. You didn't lose a lot of momentum on that, but just I mean, like just just the format of it, you're not going to be able to fit in absolutely everything. There's there can't be as many nods. But, I mean, they obviously try as best they can to get everything in. And especially when, um, I think it actually gains a little bit when conversationally things are mirroring uh, each other. Like, you know, Dr. Manhattan will be having a conversation and then, you know, five years later he's having another conversation with somebody else and it's kind of mirroring back and forth. I think that was the last episode that came out. Yep, that was Um, four. Yeah, which was... Dr. Manhattan's backstory, it really kind of... That was great. That was a great yeah, episode. Yeah, it sort of it opened that up a little bit more than I think the book really could. You don't have to keep flipping back and forth. It kind of spells it out for you. Right. I mean, you know, the visual page, end to end to end, every panel, it's its own continuum, not just nine nine blocks on one paneled page. You know, I mean, there was there was definitely momentum with that, and I would also even say the um, Black Freighter stuff. Let's take a listen. Delirious. I saw that hell-bound ship's black sails against the yellow indie sky and knew again the stench of powder and men's brains and war. The waves about me were scarlet, foaming, horribly warm. Yet still the freighter's hideous crew called out, More blood, more blood. Its tar-streaked hull rolled over me. In despair I sank beneath those foul pink billows, Offering up my wretched soul to Almighty God, His mercy, and His judgment. We ought to nuke Russia and let God sort it out. And it's amazing too because in these selections that they've that they've put on here, there's actually word balloons. There's actually narrative um, thought uh, thought bubbles and um, rectangles that you can read along with it too. When you know Bernard and Bernie are talking and gesturing, it's it's pretty phenomenal. That was actually going to be my last question: was how was the, how well was the Black Freighter handled? And it sounds like they they did a good job with that. 
I, I would say so. I think you know it'll it'll really ring you know forward coming in the next couple of issues because they're only on four right now, a couple weeks behind us. But um, we should finish up uh, right before them. They should finish up right before the movie, and um, we'll have read Watchmen two different ways and three different ways if you talk if you think of the movie too. Have you guys seen where the the next full trailer is going to be released supposedly with Quantum of Solace? Well, that means it'll be out now because isn't that out? Isn't that out right now? Ah, it comes no, out this yet. weekend. Yeah, oh, that's that, Friday. Friday. I thought it was the seventh. Okay. So I think overall, those of us that have seen it, big thumbs up. Yeah, I'd have yeah. to say so. I mean, I'm I'm getting every uh, every episode that comes out. I'm not man enough to do the season pass, but yeah, so far I'm pretty pleased with it. Now, just get this, a female voice actor. Is this available in, in any way other than iTunes, or is it just iTunes right now? Um, I think you can subscribe to it like you would a normal podcast. Yep. Um, but I, I just get everything through iTunes, so I'm not really up on that other right, stuff. It's a, it is a, a pay thing. Is a, you buy it, right? It's not all free, right? No, it's it, you have to pay for it. Right. Yeah. You even have to pay for the first episode now, I think. So. Yeah, they yeah, took down the free limited week. deal. Yeah. All right, so I guess we move into... Chapter 7 of The Watchmen. And, um, you know, once again, we start off with the cover uh, being a large, you know, blown-up version of first panel on the first page. And in this case, we get a large, blown-up image of the goggles on the night owl's goggles uh, looking out at the uh, the owl ship. And we see a what looks like a uh, a smudge or a, a clearing on the on the lens. So almost like where somebody took their finger and literally wiped wiped away a speck of dust or a dust covering off the off the image. Yeah, we find out that's exactly what happened when uh, Laurie's is down exploring through the owl cave, if you will. And uh, third panel, there she is. You see the dust on her finger. That's exactly what she did. And then repeats it on the owl ship itself. We kind of see in the in that third panel also when we see her finger with the dust on it. You know the night owl's uh, costume, and then uh, the belt there. It, I I always got a serious uh, uh, utility belt, Batman utility belt vibe out of seeing that hanging the way. That's what it is. How it just reminds me so much of the of the Batman utility belt, especially like from the almost like the '60s TV show with the you know over exaggerated pouches and and stuff. Rob Life will be proud. <laughs> the first page, you know. It, it, there's no dialogue, and even the next page, you know, very limited limited dialogue. But you can see Lori's kind of snooping around, and um, it, it's interesting how she goes up to the the window on the owl ship and starts to wipe away the the dust on it, just like she did on the goggles. So it's it's mirroring that same position. And again, we see a lot of the circular, um, you know, references, you know, like either the face of a watch or. Um, you know, the smiley, that that kind of thing, or, you know, all these circular references uh, that we get. And it's, you know, she's almost content, you know, when we see, you know, she's she's, almost, you know, she's kind of got a smile on her face in that fourth panel, and then, you know, when you see it on the, see her on the eighth panel, when she's kind of kneeling down to take a look at the ship, she's, you know, she's got a smile on her face, like this is, you know, looking, you know, remembering the glory days and looking back is really making her happy. Yeah, and that's just it. She, she can talk a, a good talk about how she... Never really wanted to do it. She wasn't really into it, but you know she really was, and she really enjoyed it, and she misses it. Now, if you found yourself exploring unattended around a fairly reasonably high-tech vehicle such as the Owl Ship, would would you start pushing buttons randomly? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. I'm I'm com- I'm compulsive. I'd do it. Well, I have to say that I wouldn't exactly assume that the button she pressed was the 
cigarette lighter when it's next to a button shaped like a missile? She, oh, she didn't even see the, the missile button. It wasn't until later when she's like, the what now? Yeah. Uh, that's that. I think that says something to her attentiveness. And it's funny, too. We almost get, like, the first real comedic m- moment in the book, you know, where there's there's it's almost slapstick style, you know, comedy, you know, where she pushes the button on the flamethrower and then boom, you know, we cut to the exterior and it says a, a brother to dragons as, you know, we get a big burst of flame shooting out the front of the ship. So I, I just, I just thought that was interesting that it was kind of a, you know, a almost slapsticky uh, style comedy yeah. moment. I, I could see this scene being cut from the movie. I'm just like, we'd love to see that just to have that comic relief moment, which is really probably what it serves is after you just got done with, uh, with Rorschach scene, you really need to laugh at this point. So yeah, I hope they keep it. But Dan's terrified. He thinks that she's being attacked from the mass killer that Rorschach warned him about, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's, she's flashback back to everything Rorschach was, was uh, drilling into his head, and I know, it just makes it a little funnier that she set the room on fire. I don't know why. Well, it's interesting, too, because Dan is, you know, you know, at first he was kind of dismissive of Rorschach and, you know, thinking he's crazy, but... You know, now as, as you know, a little bit of time, you know, more time has passed, several days have passed, and, you know, he really, you know, it shows you just how much, you know, he's starting to either, he's starting to put stock in what Rorschach told him, or he's kind of, he kind of saw it all along and, and you know, saw the truth in what he was saying. So, so here he kind of freaks out. I think it's kind of funny, too, how uh, Dan's now buying sugar by, like, the catering pack, <laughs> where it's like a whole, like, duffel bag of sugar how about the, how about the brand name of the sugar did you notice that what is it sweet chariot sweet chariot yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i like how they kind of superimposed well you say superimposed but you know if, if obviously if this were in the movie you know warshak's image into the the panels you know just to kind of to take it back to, to warshak well, that's just a representation of what's going through dan's mind he's like remembering everything about that like like uh, adam was saying you know, he's starting to think, you know, the mass killer is coming to get Lori now. Moving on to page four, we see that that last panel on that page is, is this is one of the, you know, another one of those issues where, you know, the first image we see is repeated, you know, throughout the, the rest of the book. And we'll see this extreme close up of the the goggle, you know, with the, with the smudge, you know, with the smudge on it reflecting back pretty much throughout the rest of this issue. Kind of like we did, we saw before with like the the radiation symbol and I think the watch and some of the other stuff that we saw. I think I think reflection in and the idea of hindsight, which you see in that same panel, that that's you know with hindsight on reflection, that's the theme of this, of this entire issue. You know, re- looking back on the golden days, trying to recapture some of that. Even later on, when we when they go out and they try to relax, blow some steam off, you know, take the ship out, and they end up helping people. They're getting back into it. They're they're starting to feel those glory days again, and that's a big part of this entire issue, and it's a big piece of what's going to move them forward uh, in the overall story. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, we'll see over the next several pages here with Dan, where um, he's and we've seen this before, where he's pretty much lying. You know, not maybe not intentionally, but he he's playing off his feeling of nostalgia for you know the what he, you know the good old days, you know the the adventuring days, and he'll even. You know, he denies it, and no, oh, you know, no, I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, kind of tinkering with stuff and dusting things off, and you know, keeping it, um, you know, tuned up a little bit, but it's nothing, you know, for no reason. And he, you know, he even refers to it as, 
you know, childish. He said, you know, just a school kid's fantasy that got out of hand, you know, or that's, you know, with hindsight on reflection. And, of course, what do we see in the picture? We see um, a reflection of them talking. So, um, so, again, he's trying to dismiss, you know, basically what they did was kid stuff and it was all silly, but, you know, he's just flat out lying. Well, even on the next page, you see uh, um, Lori finds the picture of, I guess, the uh, the Twilight Lady. And Dan kind of plays it off as, you know, she was just some crazy supervillain that was really into me and she was really sick and all that. And, you know, later on in the issue, we'll find out. I think it kind of references the fact that there was a lot more to that relationship than Dan's leading. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask after. Do you guys think that, well, first of all, he... He, he says, called herself Dusk Woman or something. So I took that immediately as, well, he's he's purposely trying to say he doesn't remember who she really is, even though we know he, he knows exactly who she is. But I, I was curious if you guys thought also that they that those two definitely had some sort of relationship going on. That, you know, there's, like Dan said, there's more to them than, you know, than, you know, Dan just trying to blow it off. Yeah, I think... I kind of got the implication that that was sort of the last person he was with. Yeah, and we kind of get it. It has been for a long time, you know. Yeah, and I think we'll get an inclination of that as a little further into the story when you know Dan has his dream going on. So his, her costume's even sort of like Lori's. Yeah, kind of. And you can see in that in that middle the panel on the middle of the page, he kind of grabs at his tie. You know, he's very uncomfortable even talking about it in front of her. You know, he's wanting to change the subject and, and, and completely downplay it. This is also, too, where we find out, you know, how, how Dan, you know, in, in the book, how he got his money, you know, that his dad was in banking and um, left him a lot of money and, uh, and things like that. And it, it was interesting, too, that, you know, one of the things we'll find is that his, his dad wanted his dad wanted him to follow in his footsteps. He felt his dad was disappointed in him for not becoming a banker like he did and kind of following the family business, which is kind of an interesting contradiction to to the way we, what we saw with John Osterman, where um, his father didn't want him to follow in his footsteps. His father wanted him to be his own man and be something different and kind of look towards the future. Um, so again, we're, you know, we kind of contrast, you know, Dan and Dr. Manhattan and, you know, Lori kind of caught, you know, between you know these two very different people. I love um, moving on to page six. I love the the multiple costumes that he has hanging up there, the green and then the, the you know which was an underwater suit, and then the the orange is the uh, I'm assuming what's going to be a radiation proof suit because it's got the little radiation symbol on the chest. Right. Hey, he might need that one later. <laughs> <laughs> that just made me think of uh, some old school Iron Man stories. <laughs> With the different and costumes. <laughs> it's kind of funny because uh, Lori's uh, outfit, it kind of looks like Elastigirl from uh, Doom Patrol. It kind of looks like uh, Rita's uh, costume. I know that's probably not intentional, but just coincidence. The other thing it made me think of, have you guys ever seen that? I guess it's an old 60s issue of Batman where he had all those funky colored costumes or something like that. There were all these bizarre... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it, it like tiger stripes or something weird. Yeah, he had a he had a zebra costume. Yeah, but there was one. There was like a bunch of them, like green. I don't know. I can't. I can't. I mean, it was like way. You know, very very silver age. But whenever I see this, you know, with the stark color, um, it, it it makes me. It it reminds me of that. Apparently, they still base action figures off those. 
At least you would think that from walking through Target. Yeah, the Batman yeah. animated series line. Oh, yeah. Lord. Every possible... Why would Batman need a neon suit? <laughs> well, if he's fighting Batmite from the 12,000th dimension, he might need those. <laughs> That's true. Or if he's just throwing the whole, like, you know, secrecy thing out the window. He needs the neon suit, so when he goes into that back alley with all those crazy uh, gang members with the fluorescent uh, you know, paint and stuff all on him, you know, he can fit right in. At least in Joe Schumacher's world, I guess. Yeah. What do you guys think of the whole, like, her quitting, you know, her quitting her through with smoking? Do you think she would, that was just like an overreaction to almost burning the place down, or it just seemed like it kind of came out of nowhere? And then she kind of says, I mean, talk about dangerous habits. And I'm assuming that she's referring to the fact that you know, because she's basically a smoker, she almost burned the whole place down. Well, I think it was more that she was one button away from hitting the air, to, the missiles button, and not the flamethrower button. She's like, "Oh, whoa! I could have hit the wrong, really hit the wrong button." That's, yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought that was like, like I thought I thought the same thing that it was like very sudden and abrupt. But then when I reread it, I'm like, "Oh, she's freaking out over the fact that she, you know, could have blew the place up, not just you know set something on fire." Uh, good point. Good point. That's kind of the whole theme of this issue though is you know ever they kind of realize they're one step away from death at any moment so why not just do what you want to which is why you know with by the end of this this uh issue she's smoking again so <laughs> the uh one of the things I, lo- I i thought was really cool on this page seven is the way that middle section the middle panel they tell the story but yet it's one continuous image you know, so we start on, you know, what what's the fourth panel where they're still in the ship, and then we move to the middle panel where they're walking towards the, the exit, and then we get to the to the sixth panel, which is them moving out of the, the ship, but it's all, you know, it's all one continuous image. Yeah, like I didn't, didn't even notice it the first time, but yeah, you're absolutely right. The old dusty owl ship. Then we find out what it, you know, that it, it even has a name, that he calls it Archie after Archimedes which is Merlin's pet owl. And it's just funny how he keeps, it's almost like he's rambling about all these, you know, these tech gadgets and what this does and what that does and how things are named. And it's almost like she's, she's off looking in, you know, either in another direction or she's moving on to the next thing. And, and he's just kind of, you know, kind of going on, you know, just, just, you know, rambling. And then on, on page eight where he talks uh, about um, Hollis Mason and how, you know, where, where he got to start, that basically Hollis was retiring and he was looking to get into it. And uh, they go through that whole story, which, which we found earlier when we, when we were looking at the under the hood um, pieces, we found, you know, where Hollis talked about the, un, you know, the unnamed person um, that came to him as, re, as he was retiring. So now we get kind of Dan's perspective on those events. I like, too, how he, uh, he talks about... Um, you know, all the gadgets and stuff, and I, I love where Dan goes. I mean, who needs all this hardware to catch hookers and purse snatchers? I mean, really. It's, you know, he he, he kind of takes it home to, like, you know, when it, when it all boiled down to what happened, you know, for these costume adventurers, heroes, whatever you want to call them, you know, it's not like in, in our world of superheroes where, you know, it was almost like an escalation. You know, you got costumed adventurers that had all these, you know, wild costumes and crazy gadgets and it kind of begat villains that came out in crazy costumes and gadgets and you know it was kind of this whole escalation but in their world it was really you know when it kind of boiled down to it it was um 
you know, street thugs and petty criminals. You know, they, they had all these, you know, crazy gimmicks and gadgets to, to like, like you said, you know, catch purse snatchers. I, I, thought, I thought that was kind of interesting. And they didn't need any gadgets to fight off the, uh, the Nautops that attacked them in the earlier issue either when Lori and, and Dan, you know, had to fight and everything. I mean, that just kind of speaks to the natural perspective that uh, Dan's coming from. Yeah, and then they, you know, they accentuate it further with the whole exosuit, you know. Now, the first time I used it, I broke my arm never again, where, you know, in, in superhero comics that we would read, that would be not a, you know, an, an not out of place thing, and you'd see heroes using those kind of things, and here again, you know, Alan Moore takes it back to a more practical, where, you know, what if somebody really tried to build themselves an exosuit, you know, that, that gave you enhanced strength or, you know, was able to do all those things. Yeah, he probably build it and, you know, like, like Dan did, end up breaking his arm and say, okay, that's enough, I'm not, not doing that anymore. Then we get to, to page nine and, you know, it, it, it gets to the point where Lori is obviously flirting with Dan at this point. And he just kind of plays it off. And that, that last panel on page nine where he, he says everything was clear as day after looking through the goggles and then on that last panel, you know, we see from her perspective that, you know, she can, she can see in the dark and she's looking at Dan and driver. And then you notice like on page 10, he, he changes the subject, you know, when, when she brings up Dan, you know, and she starts, you know, thinking of the way she can see the world with those goggles on and how, um, you know, she, she almost feels like she has powers. And then she starts relating that back to, to, to John, you know, Dr. Manhattan and, um, you know, how he feels. And as soon as he mentions that, you can see, you know, Dan starts to get uncomfortable and, uh, and wants to move away. So I think Dan, Dan's got a pretty big hang-up where he's, you know, he definitely has feelings for Lori, and you know, he's real insecure about the fact that, you know, she was with, you know... A god, yeah. Yeah, I love the Devo reference. Do any of you guys read... Um, there's a, a site on the Internet that has, like... Um, just kind of an annotation of every issue of Watchmen. Yes. We have that uh, I, on the Watchmen resource thread on the forums. Yeah, I, I love how uh, it says for page 10 panels 2 through 3, Devo is a real band. <laughs> well, thank you. Is, yeah. <laughs> what, is, what, what is this Devo that you speak of? <laughs> I think this guy uh, is a little bit, um, I don't know, I think maybe by issue 7 he's getting a little tired of writing all this stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> Getting, getting a little punchy. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that I noticed, I mean, this is kind of a general observation with this issue. Um, I didn't notice as much um, imagery and some of the symbolism that we've seen in some of the some of the issues to this point, and and that we'll see moving forward. I mean, there's definitely some, and you know, we'll point them out. But to me, I, I thought this one was the lightest of the ones that we've seen so far. Like I, you know, I kept looking, you know, again for, for some of the stuff that we're seeing and didn't see, um, see, seem to seem to find as much stuff to point out going on in the background. Yeah. For me, this is definitely the least deep of the issues. And I think even really, I mean, it's not, there's not a whole lot of play with the panel layout like there normally is. It's pretty much nine panels per page. Or, you know, any panel that's in it could fit into those nine. It's pretty direct, which, yeah. you know, yeah. maybe that is the underlying theme is just, you know, the whole issue is pretty direct. This is what it is, you know. So then again, on at the bottom of 10, we see, again, the close-up of the, of the goggle. 
and then Dan in the background, you know, you know, leaving the leaving the basement. <laughs> What's with all the sound effects? I just heard a yeah, basement door shut. He's <laughs> roaming in and out. Does someone live in a haunted house? <laughs> Maybe that's me. I shouldn't. I shouldn't talk. <laughs> I was gonna say your place, God. Ugh. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, if it's not ghosts, it's zombies. So can't get enough zombies. Then we see on page eleven where. You know, Lori's even, you know, she's making herself definitely at home and comfortable with Dan, you know, at Dan's place. And, uh, she, you know, he, she had some stuff forwarded and mailed there. And then she says, oh, yeah, and a letter telling me I don't have cancer. So, again, we see, you know, where if it was really Dr. Manhattan that was giving these people cancer, then, you know, Lori would obviously have it because she was around him longer and, you know, probably more intimately than anybody else. And for her to be around him that long and not have cancer, you know, obviously something else is going on here. It's funny, too, because the glint of the television makes her blue, almost like John himself. Yeah, that was going to be my, you know, my next observation. These next few pages are all the tint, you know, the color goes from, for the first ten pages, it's a very brown, like like the the the, the color theme is very brown, and then we get the next few, and it's very blue. Then we see on... Uh, on, on 11, the landlady, you know, this is where, um, you know, Lord, they, they kind of, well, Dan already knew that, that, that Rorschach had been taken into custody and, and all that, but, you know, it kind of shows up on the news and, and Lori starts listening to it. Um, and I thought it was interesting that they had the, uh, the landlady, Rorschach's landlady, you know, basically calling him out and saying he's a pervert and he, um, you know, basically was, propositioning her which which you know as we saw from Rorschach's perspective early on that that was totally not the case and he had no interest in her whatsoever and, and but Lori's so ready to believe it you know you know this lady is you know she's she's thought that Rorschach is kind of a weird bird you know, at least um, for quite some time and so all she needs is to hear you know from somebody else's voice and it just you know she immediately validates it moving on to 12 Panel one on page twelve, we see that the kid in the background at the new new frontiersman with the uh, smiley face shirt on, um, carrying a coffee. He'll have a an interesting role on the last page of the entire um, entire book from issue twelve. We'll see him again. The other thing we notice on twelve is when as they're watching TV, um, they see that Doctor Long. Um, is being interviewed on the street as he's going into the to the penitentiary to interview um, Warshak, and it's it says that he'll interview him this afternoon. So obviously the events taking place in in this book at this time are before you know what we saw you know previously when in Warshak's origin that that took took place over um, over a period of time you know several days or. Um, a week or whatever it was, and here as they're watching it, it uh, you know that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I'm guessing by the end of this episode, when they decide what they're going to do, that's going to sync up with the end of issue uh, of issue six. You know yeah. where 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 we left Rorschach and the Doctor. So, yeah, we've kind of seen that in other you know as well where the things in in you know either from one perspective or um, from one issue, you know take place in different points in time than they do in other places. And then I love how on uh, moving, moving on to 13 where they, you know, they, we cut to the uh, Institute for Extra 
spatial studies, there's a lot of, uh, between page 12, 13, and then even into 14, there, there's a lot of foreshadowing going on here, um, especially as it, as it relates to Adrian Veet. Um, we get the, the hint that, that they're, um, at the Institute for Extraspatial Studies, they're, they're kind of flirting with being able to harness energy and from different dimensions and, and, you know, open up, you know, windows or portals or whatever you want to call it to another dimension, which again kind of foreshadows to, to things later on. It looks like some crazy Kirby invented doom used time portal. Yes. In there. I really got a Kirby vibe just, I guess because of the colors and the background. Yeah. And it is also purple. And then, bow, chicka, bow, wow. Lori takes the initiative and uh, becomes the aggressor in the, re- the relationship. Yes. This is the part I'm not looking forward to in the motion comics. Oh, Dan, you're so dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am, you know, talk about scenes you don't want to see cuff in the movie, though. Well, and it's interesting that, you know, here we see Dan, you know, it, the... The scenes on the TV kind of mimic, again, we've seen this before, but the scenes on the TV that are being, you know, that we're hearing kind of mimic what's going on between Dan and Lori, except uh, Mr. Veet is having more success at his endeavor than Mr. Dryberg is. I want to go back to 12 for a second. If you look at at, um, the bottom of uh, the middle panel on the bottom on page 12, that, you know, they talk of, since since there's a, Oh, kind of a limited amount of, of, of um, symbols going on. I won't make sure I point out the ones that we that I do find, but um, that middle panel on page 12 at the bottom, they, they talk about Hiroshima week, um, and, you know, he says he read an article in Time Magazine with pictures, you know, kids' body, skin, burned black, and then we see their, you know, again, the silhouette thing, but as he's talking about that, we see their silhouette on the back, you know, the background against the wall where they're sitting there watching TV. Then the the police are that that last panel on twelve. The the police are arresting women um, at a peace demonstration, and those women are wearing camo. I, I just thought that was interesting. Dan's got a copy of Nova Express that obviously is the one that has Doctor Manhattan on the cover. I'm wondering if Dan himself is a liberal because Nova Express is the liberal rag to go uh, against the hyper hyper conservative. New Frontiersman, but I could also just see it being, you know, he bought it just because John's on the cover, too, and wants to kind of keep a prize of the situation, too. But politics don't really figure into things until issue 12. I almost can see Dan as kind of, he's so wishy-washy, being very middle of the road. You know, oh, kind probably of, one of those third-party bozos. <laughs> <laughs> I can see Dan just going with whoever's the strongest personality in the room at any given moment. That's who he's going to go with, be it Rorschach or Laurie or or John, but it it it's funny how we you know again we one panel of Lori and Dan the next panel you know focusing on on Adrian and uh, you know he's having again he's having great success at his uh, his athletic inventor er, endeavor and he's showing off and Dan is failing miserably. And then moving on, uh, look at, at page thirteen. If you look at the clock, it's almost like you know again we see like the clock and. You know, it's, it's, if we give it as a representation of a smiley face, the, the clock is even frowning. You know, the hands are, are pointing almost you know, in that downward, like like even time is frowning on for Dan Dryberg. 
but all this all this dialogue that's going on, it's just again, it kind of made me laugh as I was reading it. How it it just mirrored how how miserable things things are going. Then at the at the bottom of fifteen, instead of closing up, giving us a close up on the the goggles like we've seen on the, the other pages, we get a close up on Dan's glasses that are laying on the floor next to the coffee cup, reflecting the TV back at back out. <laughs> and I don't even want to talk about pages 16 and 17. <laughs> yeah. But this is where, you know, we we did, you know, again, no dialogue except on the last panel of, of 17, you know, 16 and 17 kind of go together. But you know, here again, Dan's dreaming, and the first thing we see on, on 16 is that reflection in his glasses that he's wearing of um, this Twilight lady, that he, you know, again, we talked about earlier, he kind of blew off to Lori as, you know, she's just some psycho that, you know, was into him. Um, but as he's, as he's dreaming, especially after um, his, his somewhat intimate encounter with Lori, the, you know, as he, as he dreams, the, the first thing he dreams of is the, or the first woman in his vision is of the Twilight Lady. And it shows them, you know, kind of, you know, embracing. And as they, they kind of tear away their clothes, we cut to... Dan and the and the, the Twilight Lady and what's obviously you know both their prime. I mean, Dan in that 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 panel on the far le- the middle far left, he's he's obviously you know Dan at his peak, and we even see it on the next panel. You know, you can tell this is definitely um, you know young spry Dan and not old flabby Dan. And then you know they tear skin away again, and it's Dan in his prime as Night Owl and Lori in her prime as um, Silk Spectre, and then again, just as they they begin to embrace, we we get the nuclear blast going off in the background. The two of them get obliterated, and Dan wakes up sweating, scared out of his mind. Which this is a, a scene from the new trailer that I think they got pretty spot on. I mean, obviously they didn't show all of it on TV, but the little clips are. I mean, they're. I mean, it's pretty much shot for shot. When they're kissing, yeah. it also kind of mirrors the Hiroshima um, lovers from the, yes. um, the 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 graffiti. Yes. Then we get a couple panels of flabby naked Dan Dryberg, and <laughs> as he walks out of the room, it's interesting. But you know, she starts you know mumbling in her sleep and talking about John and not Dan. You know. So again, you can definitely tell that Lori still has. You know, some thoughts and feelings about about Dr. Manhattan. What do you think in the grand scheme of things, Dan and Lori weren't uh, targeted like the way John and Rorschach were? Do you think it's because they weren't seen as any kind of real threat? So I think that's exactly it. They were underestimated as, as not being a threat. You know, the Rorschach and, and John were the real the real powers or the real influencers. And these two, you know, weren't capable of doing anything on their own. And maybe individually they're not, but the two of them together um, were was not something that was taken into account. Yeah, because I mean, you know, as we've seen of Dan, his personality, you know, he kind of blows whichever way the wind blows, and he's not gonna he's not gonna ruffle feathers. He's not gonna, you know, you know, make any noise or anything like that, you know. And then Lori, I think you really just saw Lori as she didn't really want any part of that world to begin with, you know. She her, you know, I, I think the the mastermind behind it all just kind of saw it as, you know, she's she's just following her mother, you know, in her mother's footsteps, and and you know, with with 
with Manhattan out of the picture, the you know, knowing that the military would just kind of kick her to the curb, that she'd just kind of go on her merry way. Little did they know. Then it's interesting. We get we go back to on 18. We go back to Dan, and we start to see things from his point of view, kind of like we did, you know, in that, you know, from from in that issue early on from Rorschach's point of view, you know, where we see through his eyes. Um, so we see Dan looking out at at the city, and then uh, you know, we see in that third panel, you know, again he smudges his finger over the window, just kind of like Laurie did in the beginning, but. Um, again, it's almost like the smiley with the blood splatter on it. We see the yellow round circle, the the drops, and then the, the the movement from that upper left corner moving downward to the right. And then we see, you know, Dan, the nostalgia getting the better of him, and him heading back down into the basement. And then, uh, you know, again at the bottom of 18, we see again the same thing: the close up of the goggles with the reflection back this time seen from, you know, literally from Dan's perspective. These are just awesome pages where there's no dialogue, you know, where nothing's being said, but yet you follow along. And, I mean, we've seen that in other places, but but it, it, it works pretty well on this issue. So in on 19, we have Dan kind of looking out at the world through the, the goggles of the night owl and Lori getting up and going after him. I don't know how I'd respond to walking down the stairs seeing the naked man with night vision goggles on. I hope I never have to. Agreed. Obviously, Dan is feeling very impotent. He really really sees the whole thing as a metaphor, how he's been feeling in the dream freaked him out, but he, he just is drawn back to back to the ship, back to the costume, and and Laurie clearly feels it as well, so you know, they they agree let's let's go out. So they're gonna suit up and go out into the world. You see kinda see the reflection of and getting the, the costume on and putting the goggles on and the helmet on and there we see Lori come back and she's ready to roll too. I love that on twenty one. I love that last panel, that you know, that, that widescreen aspect panel where he's you know, has his hand on his fist like that, you know, he's ready to roll. He almost like a like a switch went off. He has a confidence in the costume that he doesn't have when he's just Dan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can see it on his face, you know. You know and that's face. a lot like uh, a lot like Rorschach too. A lot of similarities in that aspect of their personalities. And we see the see him getting the uh, getting Archie ready to fly. That was so bizarre. He just he, he said, uh, "Let me just plug the steering column in over here." It's like you know these parts are just kind of removable and, atta- and interchangeable and whatnot. And I love how when, you know, when the ship comes out, you get the smoke, you know, to cover it. Again, that, like at the bottom of 22, that, that's going to just make an awesome translation to the movie, to kind of see that thing just oh. busting out a, a big old cloud. Yeah, and seeing the trailer where he's popping out of the water is just really just cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what, actually, they replaced this with. I, I think you might be right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah which is, you know, fine as well. And you can tell just, you know, moving on to 23, you know, Dan's back in action. You know, he's, you can tell he's getting excited, you know, about, you know, being back in the saddle, so to speak. Well, a call back to one of the news reports earlier. They're talking about uh, the, the various fires going through the, uh, the, the te- tenement buildings, and they come across another one. So here's our chance to be heroes again. They're going to save, save them. Again, we get to see, you know, moving on to 24, you know, you know here, here comes the owl ship up to the, 
to the tenement building that's on fire and you know night owls waving to the to the people you know helps helps here and then uh and he's got a you know again he's he's got more you know all these gadgets you know gadget for every occasion kind of thing so he's starting to put the fire out with uh with the ship you know it's got some sort of uh, extinguisher built into it love the one line that people are trying to save why is she dressed like that like like that it's us who got woke up at four in the morning <laughs> yeah, but you don't realize that she put her costume on until until right there when she you know, takes the coat off. You think she's just wearing a a coat over her shirt or something. Yeah. What do you, I mean? Why do you guys think that is? I mean, why why not just get on the ship with the costume on? Again, yeah, it's that, that nostalgia. You know, we we just looking back, knowing where you belong, and it's starting to click back with both of them that this is what they were meant to do. This is why they've been unhappy and bored and. Just dissatisfied the last, you know, how ten years or however long it's been since the Keen X been passed. They need to be doing this. So, what do you guys think? Just as a little bit of an aside, what do you guys think of the uh, the costume representations that we've seen so far in the movie, especially with Dan and Laurie? Now that we've seen you know Laurie a little more versus what we've seen in the movie. I think if there's one that's furthest from the book, it's definitely Dan's. Really? You think so? I thought I thought what I've seen I've seen of the of the Night Owl costume it looks pretty close to what I've been reading. Well, I I mean it is close. I just think out of all of them it's probably the furthest away. I'm just kind of I don't know how you're going to get old flabby Dan out of that guy, you know. Oh, you're thinking you're thinking of the physique. Not yeah, so much I, stuff, I, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit too Batman Forever for me, but it's not Batman and Robin. I mean, see when so. I see when I see the when I when I see the night owl costume, I'm thinking I'm, I'm seeing night owl. It looks it looks just like I would expect it to. If anything, is Laurie's that seems to be far off, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I like the costume in the movie. Uh, I think it's a little more modern. I think it's not. It just it just suits a more realistic tone than than a like an animation would. Yeah, it's almost like there's more to it. You I know, expect the, more of a bodysuit. Yeah. Yeah, the the costume that she has in the comic is a little simple. Um, and the and the one in the movie is a little more there's a little more to it, but yeah, I, I kind of I, I somewhat agree with Dan on on the night owl thing. The one the one thing that to me seems the most different is the is the cowl, because whenever you look at night owl straight on, it almost like he's got this weird mullet look thing kind of going like with the back you know where it comes down on the back on the on the backside of his head, and I didn't really see that in the in the movie. It's almost like the you know it's a standard cowl with ears that kind of point out, but. Yeah, he's got kind of like an helmet. Yeah, I, I still like it. I mean, I definitely like it, but but uh, I, I was just curious what, what the what the consensus was. Well, with any movie, that's kind of to be expected. I mean, it can't be, you know, the movie can't be the book, right? Which is, well, I think, what a lot of people are kind of expecting out of it. Which is, I mean, in my opinion, that's a little unfair. You know, all these people that are like, oh, they changed this and they changed this. Well, you know. Not everybody is a comic book reader. You know, not everybody's going to go into it with, you know, the experience we've had with it. So it has to be a little bit user-friendly, you know? Yeah, I don't think any of the costumes have taken me out to the point where it's like, well, that doesn't look like who it's supposed to look like. I mean, definitely not. They all, you can tell who everybody is. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said it before, I mean, if if you want to, if if it's intended to be identical to the book, then read the book. You got to do something to make it, you know, more interesting for for a for a translation. I mean, you don't have to make it a drastic departure, but 
but you got to change something. You got to give, you know, if you're sitting in the audience and you know everything that's going to happen, you know exactly what's going to be said, and you know exactly how it's going to end. What's the fun in that? You know, to me, I want to go and sit and be able to point out the things that are that are the same, but I also want to have some element of surprise and some, you know, something that's different that I'm going to look at and go, and no, that's pretty cool. You know, that I didn't think of it that, you know, that way. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping we see the same. Yeah, I think the ones that they needed to get exactly right, they did. You know, Rorschach, Doctor Manhattan, the comedian. They really didn't fuss with those too much. Those right. are those are pretty spot on. But I think you know Ozymandias, you can play with Night Owl, you can play with a little bit. So I'm actually kind of anxious to see because I don't think we've really seen any of the old superheroes yet. The only thing the I think I've seen is uh, Silk Spectre in the poster. The yeah. latest webisode, if you guys watch, for, for all you listening folks, if you go to the the Watchmen website, the latest webisode starts off. It, it, the focus is the women um, women kick butt, um, and it's a focus on both specters. So it's a, it's a real close-up of uh, Carla Gugino and Marilyn Ackerman. But it starts with the photo shoot of the, of the original Minutemen in their old-school costumes, and it is... It is spot on. I mean, it is it is identical. I mean, to the old, you, you can see them as that shot is identical to the photo that we see in the book, and you can tell like they're old, like wool, you know, like wool costumes they were wearing and everything. It's it's really good. So I, it's like three minutes long. I highly recommend you check it out because they they don't you know they don't give too much away, but it's kind of interesting on um, what they show, and they, they they show that scene being shot. So it's really cool. So that is interesting here. You know, again, we see how Archie can be reconfigured by showing, you know, he, Dan's like, okay, well, I'll just put the steering column on the roof and we'll cram more people in. And, and we see, we've seen this on the, on, for several pages now. It, it was fairly prominent back on page 23, but then, you know, here on 25, all the street lights, again, we see that top down view of the street lights. So we get, again, the round circular pattern and either, you know, that watch or the, you know, look like a, like hands on a watch, right. hands on a clock kind of look going on it's so funny that they're rescuing these people and they're you know Lori's trying to get them on the ship and um you know she's just telling them to you know, kind of almost yelling at them to get on the ship and calling them names and stuff like that it's really kind of funny um you know so like we're saving their lives and you people are being ungrateful and then once they get on the ship then uh it's time to serve some coffee <laughs> i love it playing yeah. play music and serving coffee that was great <laughs> yeah and you can just see Dan, you know, moving on to page 26, you see Dan on the top of that ship, and he's just, you know, top of the world. You know, he's just, he, uh, you know, he even says it, you know, oh, don't worry about me, I'm fine, just fine. He's, you know, he couldn't be happier at this moment right now if he tried. Well, he's about to get happier. Well, this is a throwback to issue three when they were fighting the um, the, the not tops, the, the gang. You know, once they, once they won, once they're out of it, they had this excitement, this pent-up energy, this sexual tension between them that they they didn't or couldn't act on, and now they, they have the same feelings, but they're, they're more than happy and more than ready to act on at this time. Yeah. And then, you know, notice I, the, what I took out of this is that Dan is the aggressor, you know, quote-unquote aggressor yeah. in this. Up until this point, you know, he's he's been the shy, oh, you know, change the subject, kind of bumbly, um, guy, and then after this, you know, he's like, "Okay, it's on now." And, well, I don't know. She's the one who goes for his goggles and pulls them off, and he's questioning what she's doing. And but at that point, she seems still seems to be leading the way a little bit. 
I like how they set the smoke screen up and they're just kind of hovering in, in the sky doing this just as her elbow catches the flamethrower button again. Yeah. But, you know, if you look at that, that last panel on 26, I mean, he is he is firmly has a hold of her, you know. There's no, I mean, he's he's definitely taking, you know, t- taking the moment. Then it, we get the, the shape of the moon there on, uh, looking up back up at 27 on that, that fourth panel, the, the crescent shape of the moon, you know, with the smoke around it match, you know, in the next panel we get the, you know, his belt having that, you know, the same shape as the moon. Right. But yeah, I think that'll be a good, uh, a good gag moment in the, in the movie if they translate that to where the, you know, that, that flamethrower goes off right at that, yeah. at that instant. Yeah. In page 28, again, again with the reflection motif, we see the uh, reflection of them in the goggles in the middle panels there. Uh, and another one in the top panels, actually, the the three top panels all make up the same scene, similar to how you were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, it's one it's one image that it takes us through. And then the ending with the owl shit, well, it ends with Dan's uh, great idea for their next step that Laura's not too keen on. It's like, I think... <laughs> And uh, and of course the owl ship just framed by the by the full moon. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I've been thinking about that, and I feel we have certain obligations to our fraternity. I think we should spring Rorschach, and then you know, almost like again, you can kind of see in the cinematic where you get a, a moment of pause. Yeah, you wait a beat. And then, yeah, and then what? <laughs> and it it works awesome here because this is the end of the issue, you know. So so you get this great. You know, great break point. Yeah, you can just hear her say what, and then just like fades to black until the next scene or whatever happens. Yeah, and then we get the 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 quote here. Um, you know, that the title of this issue was "I am a brother to to dragons." So we get a a biblical quote here, where it's "I'm a brother to dragons and a companion to owls. My skin is black upon me, and my bones are burned with heat." Job chapter thirty verses twenty nine through thirty, and that so ends issue twenty eight. The prose piece here, I think, this is probably one that I was most um, uninspired by. Yeah, Dan I mean, I was right when he was talking about how most people find the stuff he writes boring, because it is boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I concur. I didn't gain any uh, any real insight of of, uh, of reading this. I mean, I, I guess it's just an accentuation of his of his personality, um, you know, and and you know what he's he's known for but I didn't you know unlike the other you know prose pieces I really didn't find anything that was uh, that was earth shattering yeah, confession time for me I get by the time I get through these pages between the artwork and the symbolism and the text and everything else I just don't have the energy to sit through a straight prose so I, I haven't I haven't read this one yet yeah that's my I got I got maybe to the third sentence on the second page and I was like yeah this isn't important <laughs> Like, oh, I'm just going to throw yeah. this one away for now. <laughs> yep, same here. <laughs> and this, this is despite hearing everything from everybody, how how much these pieces add to the overall background of the story. I just, like, I, I just can't. Yeah, th- I, it, again, I think this is the, you know, this is the one that definitely you know, adds the least. I think we'll, in the next one, we'll, uh, it, it's a little more interesting just from a stylistic point of view and from a content point of view. And I think the ones before it have, have offered some, something good but next next is issue eight where we will learn a little bit more about mr adrian beach well i think out of all of them this is probably my least favorite issue not that it was bad 
but I don't know. For me, it lacked. I, it was just kind of lacking in something. I think it was a little dry for me. Well, I mean, I look at this issue, and if if six, which is you know, twelve issue book, if six is the last part, the last chapter of the first half, which clearly it is, but it also was our. It brought everything that we learned so far to a head. This is, I think, a great way to set up the, the, the second half. It, it's a lot of setup. It's a turning point for our characters. It's, a, it's some looking back at the way things were, that theme of reflection, both literally and figurative, figuratively. Until by the end, they've, they've had a taste of the glory days again. They want more of it, and it's, it's now going to set us off to the, the rest of this book, starting with springing of Rorschach and taking it through to the ultimate conclusion. And it, it, as much as issue one with the setup for the for the entire book, this is a setup for what's to come next. Yeah, it's, it definitely sets up uh, what the status quo is at the time, uh, puts everyone in their place for the rest of, of the storyline, and uh, you really couldn't jump into what happens with the beginning of the next chapter uh, without having some of the revelations from this chapter, no matter how small they, uh, they are. I think... Uh Next uh, issue, we'll catch up on some forum comments uh, and uh, read any emails that we may have. And next week's going to be a, just a catch-up episode. I'm not sure exactly in general what we're going to talk about, but like you said, emails and forum comments. In two weeks, we'll be hitting Chapter 8 of The Watchmen. I, I have a quick uh, aside. Uh, this will be a, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a Wizard World story, a Wizard World Texas story that will relate to, to Watchmen on 2A. On, on one of the things I found interesting there is folks that were selling Watchmen trades. It was funny to see how everybody was selling a Watchmen trade for just the regular paper trade paperback, anywhere from twenty bucks to ten bucks. You'd go to some tables and they'd be like, "Hot book, twenty bucks, great deal." And then you'd go someplace else and it'd be like thirteen bucks. And then you'd go someplace else and they'd have you know bins of half off trades and 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 we'd see it for for ten. So. Um, we, we were able to uh, to get Bill McGonnell, the voice himself, um, a copy of the Watchmen trade. Nice. So he can he can play along at home. That was lacking. And then um, Mr. Half Hour Wasted host Brad Milo himself, I think, unintentionally offended uh, a lady at one table with the uh, the who was it the 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 new book that came out who uh, uh, reading the Watchmen, right. watching the Watchmen. Um. Made a comment about, oh, I think you know, I think it, it just turned out to be more of a of a of an art book and a sketchbook than you know than than was kind of hyped up, you know, that there was more to it. And there was some lady that was looking through the book and she's like, "What's wrong with that?" And Brad's like, "There's nothing wrong with that. I was just making an observation. I'm an artist and I love this stuff." And it was just he just kind of made an offhanded comment to somebody as we were, as the two of us were walking by, <laughs> and this lady got completely offended and thought he was just like. You know, totally ragging on the fact that the book was, you know, um, very art centric um, as opposed to um, text centric, and um, so he kind of um, apologized and clarified himself, and we kind of uh, scampered away as quickly as possible. <laughs> I actually nice. picked that up uh, last weekend. It's not half bad. I mean, I'm always, I've always been kind of an art first kind of guy, so it's kind of, it's, it's neat for me. But if you've got like the absolute edition, kind of the extras in that, it's just a whole book of that. Really, it's pretty yeah. nice. I'd, I'd like to get it just because I've got Watchmen fever right now, and um, I'd like to gobble everything up. But uh, 
my budget's a little lean these days. Maybe after the holidays, get past yeah. this or maybe wait till after the movie and get it on eBay. You know, yeah. it, that's kind of why. I wish I'd gotten like four copies of the Watchmen Absolute when they were like forty bucks on eBay. Because <laughs> I could sell those puppies we, now. There you go. I actually, there were actually many people. There were several booths that had the most recent printing of the Absolute for between half off and sixty bucks. Yeah, if it's not half off at a con, I, I just walk by you. Yeah, but I, I just thought it was interesting that they had them to sell, and they were selling less than cover. You know, especially with the eBay frenzy and stuff like that. Honestly, with with not to keep repeating this this number, but nine hundred thousand copies of the trade out there. You know, there's there's a lot of ways to get Watchmen. I don't think I don't think it's a seller's market right now. I think it's you, you sell it whatever you can get for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, like we talked about last time, um, you know, DC is offering the book on consignment, so it's it's a no risk thing to to retailers. They'll order as many as they can, and you know, if they sit there, there's you know, unlike normal. You know, things there's no cost to them. So, you know, they order a thousand copies and they sell five hundred. They'll they'll ship five hundred back, and they'll end up on the shelves of Barnes and Noble and um, or in the warehouses of Amazon. Yep. But that that's all I have um, for the rest of the Wizard World Texas story. Tune in to the latest episode of Half Hour Wasted, and you'll get all of our annex and hijinks from the Dallas-Fort Worth area at the Wizard World Texas Convention 2008, which I represented Legion of Dude at. I was I was the sole Legion of Dude at Wizard World Texas, along with uh, with the Half Hour Wasted boys, and we had a, we had a blast. So definitely tune into them to Half Hour Wasted um, this week and, and catch up on that to, to hear all about it. Sounds good. And with that, we'll end this installment of the Legion of Dudes. Uh, on behalf of our fellow panelists and conspirators, I'd like to say thank you for listening. If you have any comments or feedback on tonight's episode or the Watchmen in general, please send them on to us at comments at legionofdudes.com or stop by the forums at thecomicforums.com. Scroll down to Half Hour Wasted and find the thread there and, and post your thoughts. Uh, look for us in a week with another episode and in two weeks for another episode of Who Reads the Watchmen? Thanks for listening tonight. Thanks. Good night, everybody.